0: Hello, my name's Brian Martin and welcome to episode seven of the Running Technique Tips podcast. Um, I'm now joined by my co-host, Lisa Biffin. How are you going, Lisa?
1: Well, I'm back this week. Excellent. Smiling. I'm happy. That's I'm not good. down in when, the dumps.
0: When we left you last time, you were pretty grumpy. Oh,
1: so I was Hoping down things out. have improved. Yeah, look, they have improved. I'm the Cheshire cat this week. The grin, ear to ear.
0: Excellent. Pumped. That's
1: good. No more negative Nancy. She's gone.
0: Well, I'm a bit excited too because we're our topic of the week this week is foot strike. So I can get my running technique nerd on and uh, we can have a good chat about that later.
1: Yeah, I might have to hold you back on that. We'll be seeing I, I think like so. three days. <laughs> I
0: know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm going to try and do it really quickly.
1: <laughs> we might have to have a part two, three, four, five and up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Look, I, I think it only really needs one episode, but um, yes, we'll get to that. So how was how was your week? Last yeah. time we left you, you were about to head off to... Um, Well, you had a few things going on. You weren't sitting in a bucket of water. You were wrapped in ice and uh, you were going to go off and do the uh, uh, half marathon in Sydney somewhere.
1: Yeah, so I was wrapped in ice um, and I was a little bit worried last week Um, and so I um, ended up having to change around a few things again uh because my main aim was really that half marathon. So um I on the Tuesday again had a another session and I wasn't sure how I was going to go because on the Tuesday nights I run on the concrete, sort of in the dark. and um, we had a just over a 5k fart leg planned and I thought, oh, I'm just gonna ease into this, see how I go. But I didn't feel the leg at all. So that was really positive. Um, and so that gave me a bit of a com- bit of confidence. And then Wednesday, you are going to love this, uh, I got on the Alter G.
0: The Alter G.
1: Yeah, the good old Alter G. So I haven't been on it before. Um, I think you've run on it before, haven't you?
0: I have run on it before. I actually blogged about it back in, I think it was 2013. Um, I got, in, got invited by a um, kind of running rehab type center to go and test it out so um yeah what did you got think? to go on um look I, I found it i found it a bit weird overall um and look you, you know that probably philosophically speaking it doesn't kind of push my buttons to um you know have a tool like an alter g where i think for a lot of runners the temptation is to use it to Kind of run through their injuries or overtrain um, and you know maybe if they just kind of like slowed down and jogged or took a few days off perhaps they'd get over their injury um, so I wasn't in love with it and yeah you' I'll put the link up to the blog blog article about what I thought but I, I did think that there was a risk of potentially compromising your running technique as well if you kind of used it too much mm. um, I um what did you think
1: well <laughs> Well, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I don't particularly like treadmill running normally, and I um, so I was a bit apprehensive. But quite a lot of people in my group, um, including my husband, have been using it for the past couple of months. I'm really not sure what's happened this year. There's been a lot of lower limb injuries. Yeah, um, hubby's been nursing this bizarre toe nerve injury that was. Brought on by surfing, of all things, yes. given he's a surfer, um, and he's been really enjoying it. So, anyway, I actually did a 25 minute land run, and my leg was feeling I was feeling okay, but I could still feel it. Uh, so, I got onto the Octa G, I did 60 minutes, and it was like it was good. Um, again, I don't love treadmill running. Uh, the first twenty minutes, I must admit, were hard work, and I just thought, "How the hell am I going to get through an hour?" And then eventually, just sucked it up and counted down by ten-minute blog blocks, and got really into it. And yeah, but it was weird though. Like I was on—I started off on eighty-five percent weight. I could feel my leg quite a bit, so moved to fifty percent weight. Uh, this is a body weight, and. Yep. Yeah, I could still feel it a little bit. I probably should have bumped it up a little bit less to make it a bit lighter. Um, but yeah, look overall, I really enjoyed it. I personally can see the benefits of it. You know, for example, for like for myself and my husband, you know, we've paid all this money to go over to New York to do this marathon. Um, if we weren't doing that. I probably wouldn't be using it. I'd just, as you say, I'd probably pull, run, or just rest. Uh, but because I'm in this specific, um, I don't know, situation, and I've got this specific goal. Um, I've really, I've got that technology there, so I was pretty keen to use it.
0: You're like you're like the uh, Olympian who's been selected to go to the Olympics and then developed a stress fracture, like you know, three months out, and they have to try and um, train through the injury. But yeah, so. do
1: exactly, do whatever you can. So, but for me, I could see the advantage as well, just given some of my weaknesses that I've got anyway, and not being used to the amount of Ks that I'm doing, I can actually see some benefits not from adding in extra days or overtraining, but continuing, for example, to do this Wednesday run and um, still getting out the same amount of mileage, but taking the load off. Uh, So it's something that I'm actually going to look at keeping in on a Wednesday. And just so that my body can still get through the same amount of mileage, but just reducing, I guess, the impact onto the body.
0: So I think one of the things I found weird was like you almost step into this. I'm stretching my memory now, but I remember it as being some kind of almost like rubber skirt thing that <laughs> grabs you around the waist and then kind of well, <laughs> and then sort of holds you up a little bit, and that's how it kind of gets the so-called anti-gravity effect, where yeah. it just takes a little bit of your weight off you.
1: That's pretty much exactly what happens, and uh, so what I really liked about this particular one—I don't know whether of the yours did it—but they actually had three cameras set up so that you could see your your foot strike and yes. just your technique from the front the side and the back so yeah, i think they
0: did have that when i did it
1: yeah so i spent 60 minutes staring at myself running <laughs> from the waist down uh it, i actually wished that maybe i'll ask next time i go if i could have gotten a recording just to slow it down it was hard to see things when you're running yep. you know in sort of real life uh but it was it was good. It was good to see. Um, it made you concentrate or made me concentrate anyway on placement and, you know, don't sink your hips, which is hard to when you're being held up.
0: <laughs> yes. Um,
1: but, yeah, look, I felt the exercise was quite good. And, look, I do recommend it for, you know, anyone in sort of similar situation where time is against you. Good for
0: emergencies, running emergencies.
1: Yeah, so um, husband's been using it for the last two months because he's been unable to put any pressure on his foot and he's only the last two weeks returned to land running and he's annoyingly good, but he really hasn't lost any fitness from it. He's nearly stepped back into where he was and he's been doing sessions, long runs, everything on it.
0: Mm. How much does it cost?
1: Yeah, so... This is probably the sticking point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is expensive, so uh, we're paying um sort of a bulk pack, so we're getting twenty seven dollars for an hour, but it's usually a dollar a minute,
0: okay. Twenty seven dollars an hour is actually cheaper than what I was thought you were gonna say.
1: Yeah, well, and that's because we're buying them in bulk, but you know, a dollar yep. a minute, so I guess sixty dollars an hour. Your uh,
0: frequent low gravity flies.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that that really starts to add up if you're wanting to do maybe two or three sessions a week on it. Um, yeah. you can get some rebates on, on healthcare. And this is Australia, obviously speaking, I'm not sure about overseas. The other tough thing is the machines themselves are so expensive to purchase, so actually mm-hmm. finding somewhere that has it and then yep. being able to book into the time that you want to book into, like there's a lot of logistical stuffing around that goes into trying to get on it. Uh,
0: I would have thought so. And I, I think it's probably the kind of thing that you probably only find in big cities usually.
1: Yeah. So where was yours? Did you do yours in Ballarat or in Melbourne? No,
0: nah, uh, that was when I was living in Melbourne. So yeah. Um, um,
1: yeah. so I live in the eastern suburbs in Sydney and as far as I know, there's only one in my local area which happens to be at one of the elite sporting clubs. So the um, Sydney Swans and AFL club, it's within their facilities. I know there's one in the city and that's all that I know that's within sort of a radius around me. So, it's pretty specific.
0: Yep. Mm.
1: Yeah. So, I guess it's a lot of pre-planning and again, you know, I love running because it's so easy, it's so convenient, it's so cheap. Yeah. Um, and these sorts of things start to make it quite difficult.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. It- it goes against every part of my uh, my running philosophy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, for the purpose of what where I am at the moment, it was fantastic. Would I be on it every single week? It just for the sake of it, the answer would be no. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, anyway, so that was Wednesday. I went into then Thursday running on the track. I did some 1,200 repeats and I was given three – possibly four. And I actually stopped at three. And the reason why I did this was because I was feeling amazing. My leg didn't hurt at all. I just felt as fresh as a daisy. I was running around 350 uh, kilometer pace. And I don't know your theory on this, but I have a bit of a less is more theory sometimes. And I do this to help me mentally. Um, So I stepped off Thursday with a huge amount of confidence and psychologically I was feeling really good with my leg going, it's on the mend, I'm feeling good. And it put me in a really good space, whereas, you know, I know a lot of other people and especially distance runners, we get a bit obsessed to, I've got to do more.
0: Yeah, look, I I like that decision. I think that's a really good call to step off after three, because there's still 3,600 metres as well. So um.
1: Exactly. And part of me said at the time, well, what actually have I got to gain? And I felt like I didn't have a lot to gain, but I had everything to lose. So, you know, who knows what may have gone wrong in that last one, and it may have been nothing, but I certainly know that I would have been really, if I'd have done that fourth one and I felt something in my leg, then all of a sudden that confidence that I just had gotten back, it, would have just been shuttered.
0: Yep. No, I like that decision. Mm. Good call.
1: Pulled the pin. And look, I still got 15Ks out for the day, so it was still big. Uh, and then I had Friday and Saturday off. Um, I decided to take an extra day and only do four days this week to help rest my legs so that I could get into the Sunday to do this half marathon, um, you know, marathon, you know, training environment. And I'll be honest, I was a bit nervous on Sunday morning, not for the run, but for just how my body would hold up. You know, 21Ks on the concrete, thinking, oh God, I've got shin splints. Uh, I, I was pretty tentative. Yep. So got out, did a 5K warm up, and I felt shocking. And every step, you know, when you've got a niggle, or you're coming back from an injury and it's all you can think of.
0: Yeah, you do become a bit hypersensitive to those things.
1: Yeah, every step I was thinking, does it hurt? No, it doesn't. Am I landing in the right spot? And I just wasn't relaxed. You know when you're just getting out and you're going for a run and you lose yourself and your mind to all sorts of places, I could not stop thinking about this damn leg. (laughs) So... um. But anyway, I didn't feel anything and then started the race and I had mentioned before that.
0: Could I I just wind you back a sec? Um, The purpose of doing this half marathon was what in your your program?
1: Yeah, so remember I originally had wanted to race it and then after my failed attempt at a 10K in the middle of a big training block, I realised how dumb that idea was, scrapped that and I wanted to feel what it was like to run marathon pace. and the purpose of that was to hope that it felt really easy to make sure that my goal was on track. And then it was a it was a 7k 3 by 7k loop and then I wanted to practice trying to drop the pace um, per kilometer to help me mentally feel that again that 415 416 pace was actually really easy. Mm -hmm. and also to train myself to go out slowly and to get the confidence in myself and my racing ability that by going out slowly and finishing quickly, um, you know, you actually have a better race than in reverse, which I did at the Gold Coast, which was go out, kill yourself and crawl home.
0: (laughs) Yep. So that was the purpose and the objective. Yeah. Did you deliver?
1: (laughs) So this is why I'm sitting here like a Cheshire cat. (laughs) (laughs) You should actually see my training notes. I have got an enormous um, hand-drawn smiley face on next to it. Um, this was textbook execution. So um, It's
0: all butterflies and unicorns, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it, it is. So a couple of fantastic things. First of all, I got around the 21, well, it was actually 26Ks by the time I did the warm-up. Zero pain, did not feel my leg at all, so I was ecstatic about that and then the three laps so the first lap of 7.1 kilometers my average was 4:15 the next 7 kilometers my average was 4:10 and the final 7 kilometers my average was 4:05 pace for a total time of 1 hour
0: 28:10 it's good going
1: so a few things from there uh i've got basically if i was to double that i've got 4 minutes up my sleeve for the marathon and that 415 pace, it was an interesting one actually. I didn't feel comfortable the first lap. And again, that was my leg. I wasn't, I don't think I was running smoothly. I was again very hypersensitive to it. But then by the time the second lap came around and I was running those 410s, I felt amazing. I was running with a member of my club, and I turned to him and I said, I'm awake, Lack. Like, I feel great. And that was a really nice confidence boost. And then the last lap, the 405s, I'll be honest, I was working for them. I got a bit tired. (laughs) Uh, So there is no way I could do a marathon in 405 pace at the moment. Mm -hmm. But it gave me that confidence that, you know, the 415, 416 is in the ballpark. And if I go out and I run the half and even to 30Ks in that pace, I should be feeling good. So, yeah, it was it was a massive success. Uh, leg didn't hurt. Achieved everything that I wanted to, and I feel like I'm absolutely still on pace for my sub three marathon.
0: Sounds good. So, quick question: If you find yourself in New York um, in a similar kind of state in the first say ten k, where you're kind of not feeling amazing, but you're holding your four fifteen pace, what are you going to do?
1: I don't know. That's actually a really good question. I haven't thought about it. <laughs>
0: option, option, option one, speed up because, you know, you remembered feeling better at 410 pace or option two, stay, stay there and just kind of tough it out?
1: Yeah. I, um, I'm actually going to say stay there and I'm only going to say that because 10K, there's still 32 to go. A <laughs> uh, bit different in a half marathon where you can sort of slug it out and, yeah, 410. I think if I had continued the 410 pace from the 7Ks through to the 21, uh, I would have finished off feeling really underdone, but different story than continuing on to run another 21Ks after that. Uh, So, yeah, but do you know what? I really enjoyed that run and that exercise, so I think it's a good one that other listeners should go out and, and give it a go um it really
0: but you, you did forget your heart rate monitor though. so
1: i did forget the heart rate monitor and the reason is because i had to get up at a quarter to five in the morning <laughs> Uh these races all start so early and this was like an hour's drive away Yeah. so i actually remembered halfway out there and thought oh god i'm not going back <laughs> um i would say that the 4 15 pace i would have been the heart rate would have been pretty good but at the 4.05 pace, I would have been redlining for sure. <laughs> yep. uh, I could just even feel it in my breathing. So, um, But, yeah, look, overall, a good week. Do you know what? I ended up running 73 kilometres off four days.
0: How did you do that? That's a lot of Ks or four days. It is a
1: lot of Ks. I just had big K's on the four days that I ran and I my plan was seventy seven K, so I was only four kilometres off it. And uh yeah, you know, so I think it shows that you can still manage niggles smartly but still get through the training. Uh, I will say that I have been icing and self-massaging every night as well. So, I have been doing those one percenters to keep it sort of under wraps.
0: Yep. Mm, Very good.
1: Yeah. So, it was really, really good. Um, I do have a bit of a whinge. I'm not sure if you want me to whinge about it now or whether you want to get your week off.
0: (laughs) Get it off your chest quickly. Come on.
1: I'll get it off my chest. All right. I want to talk about paces. Uh-huh. We could talk about this as a, an individual topic, but I'm just going to have a bit of a rant. So, um, pacing. And- it's a
0: family friendly show. Don't remember, don't forget. No,
1: I'm. <laughs> I've calmed down. I think if we had spoken about this yesterday, I would not have been as calm. I was just fuming during this run <laughs> yesterday. So, if you're a pacer and you've been given a pace, pace at that goddamn pace. Like, why is uh-huh. it so hard? Why do pacers think that? By banking time early, you know, in a half marathon or a marathon is a good thing because people that are running to that pace, whether it's a 90 minute half marathon or a 100 minute half marathon, you know, if that was me, it's probably a one minute or a two minute, three minute PB that I'm going for. I haven't run in that range before. So to try and aim me to run 88 minutes for a half marathon, that's just setting me up for failure.
0: Totally. So, it's a few few seconds Okay, quicker, so it could be enough to redline you.
1: It's, it just absolutely drives me crazy. So yesterday the paces, so I ran 88 minutes for this half marathon. I caught the 90-minute paces at 17 kilometres. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, what is going on? And the paces, the 90-minute paces didn't run 90 minutes in the end. They finished just behind me. And as I was running along, there were two paces. And one of them said, oh, it's okay. The pacer has a big group with him. So he's pulling them along. There was one person that finished with that pacer because how many times have you done a half marathon? And I can't speak in a marathon. I haven't done it yet. But I know in a half marathon, you get to 17Ks and that's when the race starts. It is bloody hard work, that last four Ks.
0: That's when you need your pacer there to help you.
1: That is when you need to know that you haven't blown up in the first 17 Ks and you crawl home. And that's exactly what happened in this instance. And I was just, I was really angry for the people in the race who were trying to get to that time because I'm probably projecting here, but I was envisaging myself in New York who is trying to break three hours um, and, you know, paid all this money and all this time to uh um run this time and if i find that a pacer is 100 meters or 200 meters ahead of me like psychologically that's just going to completely mess with my brain and you know you could do one or two things or a couple of things you could ignore the pacer probably the smart yep. thing to do Yeah, um, that's what i do yes <laughs> and 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 run your own race um or you might put in a surge to catch up with a pacer only to find that they're running two minutes ahead of the time because they think banking time is a good idea. Or three, you end up being so thrown off and mentally lose it in the race at that time, um, you, you then drop a few seconds, okay, and, and your own race is gone. So I was, just, I was so angry. I was really, really angry. It's really not that hard to be given a time and I think that you should run, if you're given 90 minutes to pace, finish in 89 minutes and 59 seconds or 90 minutes or 90 minutes and one second. (laughs) Yep. And the other thing is the pacers who are pacing those times, those times are so easy for them. So, you know, for them to just put in a quick surge and and drop a four-minute K um, to catch up time, it's effortless. But the people that are running that time that have never run that time, that is really hard work.
0: Yes, pacers beware, Lisa is on the warpath I'm
1: on the warpath I've got one more thing to say about it too And then I'll stop, I'll move on And I'll go back to being happy Don't talk when you're a pacer (laughs) Just shut up (laughs) I don't want to hear about your personal life I don't want to hear about anything Maybe just some small inspirational words Ad hoc every now and then
0: A little bit of encouragement perhaps Do
1: not engage in a full-blown conversation With someone who is gliding past or. Don't even talk to me. Just shut up. <laughs> because usually you just you're in the zone. You're in your space. You you don't want to be taking on all these other external factors about what your cat and your dog had for breakfast and where your kids are going to school. I don't care. Shut up. Do your job and give me some small words of encouragement.
0: Check, check your face on the Garmin. <laughs> Get back on it. Exactly. <sighs> uh, very good. I'm done. Well, how was your she- week? <laughs> My week was my week was good, week was good. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's now as we're recording, it's about forty-seven days, I think, to the Melbourne Marathon. And
1: wow, are you getting nervous or excited? How are you feeling?
0: Um, I, I'm actually. I don't think I am feeling much at the moment because it's it's still far enough away that it's a, still a little bit abstract. But um, yeah, it's certainly it's starting to come more into my consciousness that that I'm getting towards the final part of my training program. And, you know, things like tapering are really only three weeks away
1: now. So, um, yeah. Are you yeah, feeling is- ready or are you getting that sort of nervousness of, oh, I should have done more or less or something different?
0: Uh, it's probably uh, there's one small part of me that says, well, is saying to myself I probably should have started building up my really long runs a little bit earlier Um I just, yeah, at some point I think I just lost track of where time time was at during the course of the year and I was just happily meandering along, sort of running between 90 minutes and two hours Um, and I probably should have got into that a little bit earlier. So that's probably the only part of me that thinks or is thinking sort of any level of under-preparedness. But having said that, there's... um, still enough time left for me to get another couple of runs of two and a half hours or perhaps a fraction longer. And once I've done those, that'll mean I'll have done about four of those, which is more or less what I did last year. Um, And I would feel confident based on the more consistently higher mileage that I've run this time around that, um, yeah, I'll be in pretty good shape when the the start rolls around.
1: I've got a question. Is Mm -hmm. the need for those additional runs – like a psychological thing for your confidence or do you actually think that you need that extra fitness?
0: Um, I think I probably need just a little bit more extra aerobic fitness at that kind of long end of um, time on legs. So, yeah, I'll get to that in my report. But at this point I've done uh, what maybe – two runs of a little bit more than two hours. I've done a two and a half hour run and this week I did a two hour 20 run. So I'd probably be feeling like I was better prepared once I've done four runs of about um, two and a half hours or so. Um, yeah, th- that would make me feel a bit better. And look, you know, harking back to our conversation the other day, or oh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking marathon pace prediction and you remember that rule about, the four longest runs adding up to a certain number of miles. Um, So there's probably something in that. And like your old school marathoners would definitely kind of argue that you'd want to get, um, you know, and they would always talk in kilometres rather than time. But people used to say, you know, you'd want to get three or four runs of 32Ks or so done. I'm not quite so fussed about whether I get the 32Ks or not, but I'm quite keen to get the two-and-a-half hours to maybe two hours 40, 45 done, which will mean that I'm not that far off time-wise from my goal, like the gap between my goal of three hours 20 and, say, if I do two hours 45 in training, that's not too big a gap. Last year I had a two-hour 45 run and then ran three hours 36, so that was actually a bigger gap in terms of time on legs. Um,
1: Do you think so? so? Because a lot of our listeners would be in that You know, maybe four-hour marathon bracket, even three hours thirty. Do you think that they need to be out there for you know three, three and a half hours for some of their longest runs?
0: I I personally, I don't. Um, Yeah, I I think the time on legs needs to be thought about quite a lot. So if it's good enough for. Elite runners to have a cap put on them of two and a half hours for the long run, which a lot of programs have that cap. Um, I don't see any reason why a recreational runner would want to run for much more time than that. Um, certainly, definitely no more than three hours. Um, I think two or two and a half hours is a nice, safe um, amount of time for. Well, I wouldn't say it's completely safe, but <laughs> it's a it's a amount of time that um, is probably less likely to get you injured than thinking that you're you have to crack 32Ks as a long run um, and that takes you three and a half hours, you know, that would just be way too much injury risk as far as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so. it's a
1: long time too, like hydration and nutrition and, yeah, I, I don't think you need to be out there for that long either, to be honest.
0: No, and look, you know, people shouldn't underestimate like the human capacity to produce special things on the day as well, so um, I guess one of the beauties of the marathon is you don't have to have run a marathon in training before you actually do it. So um, if you have a nice consistent base and you do a few of these longer runs, then, you know, if you run for two and a half hours, there's a fair chance that that's going to be enough time on legs for you to be able to on the day run your four hours or your three and a half hours or, or whatever it is. Um, that That's my perspective anyway.
1: Yeah. Okay. So tell us about your week.
0: Yeah, so this week was, um, I think it was, I think it is actually about week four out of my 10 week plan. Um, I think that was week four. So, as usual, it was resting on a Monday. Tuesday, I was um, doing a 40 minute jog, and that was about seven and a half Ks, just shy of five miles in 529 um kilometer pace which is about 850 miling and my heart rate was 126 and i don't know if you remember from the week before that similar run i think i was running at 540 kilometer pace and my heart rate was a little bit higher than that so i think it just reflected the fact that i didn't actually do my long run on the sunday before you remember i cancelled it because of yeah, the snow snowed in. <laughs> yeah so i think you know just that data probably just supports the fact that um yeah i'd had that extra bit of recovery. So, by the time I got around to my normal Tuesday schedule, I was actually running quite quickly for me on that day um, at a very low heart rate. So, um, that was pretty good. Um, And Wednesday, I actually decided to do my long run. Um, So, um, yeah, usually I'm like most people do my long run on the weekend, um, Saturday or a Sunday. But this week, because I'd missed Sunday before I decided to do it on the Wednesday and the other thing I had in mind was that uh, this week coming I'm actually doing the Flinders Island Pub to Pub race which is a 26k race on the Saturday so I thought I'll get my long run in on the Wednesday which will give me a little bit of extra recovery time um, before I actually do that that next race and or long run as it really is in my, my program um, so I think I that run actually went really well until about um probably about an hour and 50 minutes and then i i started thinking oh gee I'm feeling a bit shy on energy here i think i'm having a little mini bonk oh no <laughs> um, have you any gels or anything uh well i actually did have an emergency gel stashed um, so i took it um, but i think i think i actually took it too late and i'm a bit like you a few weeks back when you had your little mini bonk in that race. Um, I, th- I think this was actually a, a nutrition fail on my part. And I think probably the reason why it happened was two, f- well, there might've been actually three reasons after I reflected on it. Um, one, I think uh, didn't have a good night's sleep the night before. So that never helps. Um, the second thing was actually took the dog for probably at least a half an hour walk before I went out running and probably went out running slightly later than what I usually do and the last thing that I think probably contributed to it the night before, I didn't really think about what I had for dinner and I think we ended up having something that was quite low carb. I think it was just like meat and vegetables um, and that wasn't like a purposeful decision or anything to try and um, starve myself of energy <laughs> from the long run. I just didn't think about it. Um, so, yeah, I think I was just running out of petrol a little bit towards the end of that run. so Learn your
1: lesson. I was I actually...
0: Yeah, and I was planning to do two and a half hours and the goal was to try and go further than I did um, the week before or slightly more than the week before when I did a similar length run. Um, But, yeah, given I was starting to run out of petrol towards the end, what was happening was I was slowing down and my heart rate was starting to go up. So I just thought I'll just call it at two hours 20, um, which ended up being 25 kilometres. So it was still a decent length run. Um, about 15 miles in 539 average which is about nine minute miling and the heart rate average was pretty good overall because it went really well for the first part of it I was cruising along pretty well heart rate average was 131 so overall it was a good run but I must admit I was feeling a bit depressed afterwards because I thought yeah goal here was to go further run slightly faster than doing this pretty much the same kind of run that I'd done. And then to see that little bit of regression was psychologically a bit challenging and, you know, I sort of think about it afterwards and go, you know, it's not always, well, A, sometimes you make mistakes, i.e. like not fueling properly. should have just had a handful of nuts and a banana or something before I went out and I probably would have been fine. Do you eat before you Um, run?
1: Because you run at what, normally
0: 9 o'clock? No, much earlier than that. I'm, I'm usually out there. Um, Not that long after 7 o'clock in the morning. So, Um, But, yeah, I usually don't eat before most of my runs and that's not a philosophical or training because some people do that because they're trying to deplete themselves of glycogen. I just do that because I don't like eating before I run essentially and because I'm running quite early, I never usually feel hungry or have that kind of little mini bonk. But, yeah, I guess this time I was running a bit later. don't think I headed off until a bit after 8 o'clock in the morning had already walked for half an hour, um, yeah, not had a huge amount of carbohydrates the night before. So I think that was probably, plus the, the poor night's sleep. I'm the complete opposite um,
1: of you. I have to eat something. I often wake up, you know, early before a run and I'm not particularly hungry. I have to get down, you know, at least one piece of toast. Otherwise it's all yeah, over. No. Uh, another question, do you take on water during these runs?
0: No, I don't. Um And I will do with one of my remaining long runs, I'll get to practice this tiny bit in Flinders Island, but I'll also do one more where I do, I will set up some water and fueling just to kind of practice taking a little bit of fluid on board just for the marathon. Um, But for these kind of, particularly because I run my long runs at such a low intensity, um, I just don't find that I get thirsty. Like I get up in the morning and have a coffee and have some water before i go out so i kind of feel like i'm pretty well hydrated and i've never felt dehydrated even for you know runs of two hours or more um yeah so for me drinking not so much during everyday kind of training runs but i will practice that a little bit for the marathon because i'll be running at a a much higher intensity so during too. that
1: actually it depends it's it's hit and miss sometimes sometimes it's warm for the melbourne marathon and other times it's pretty yeah, average
0: it, it it could be anything um so yeah i definitely want to practice taking on a little bit of fuel in the form of um either some gels or some you know even something like apple juice yeah. uh gets a bit of sugar in and another one that um Dr. Phil Maffetone recommends is just kind of like mixing up some honey in water and dissolving it. So that would again be give you a really simple kind of sugar that's easy to digest and you can quickly kind of get it into your into your system. Yeah. Um, so that's
1: what I find that I need more than like the water. So I am not a big water drinker when I train or race. I certainly drink a heap of water outside of those times. So even mm-hmm. in the half yesterday. Didn't take on anything, uh, wasn't even remotely interested and I know some friends are like, well, you've got to practice for the marathon. I thought, well, I don't, I'm not someone that normally takes on a lot of water, so I'm not sure I'm going to start to change that now. But
0: Do they have personal drinks at New York? I don't,
1: well, not for me they don't. (laughs) No,
0: Okay. (laughs) I guess the one nice thing about the Melbourne Marathon is even for the regular punters like me, you can put out three drinks um, of your own choosing. I think
1: there's, what, 50,000 people just doing the marathon? Yeah, that's (laughs) That's true. Yeah, it's probably
0: a bit hard to do that (laughs) at New York. Uh,
1: Um, So, look, I'm really happy with the little cliff blocks. As I said, I just need mm -hmm. that sugar hit and, and, and away I go. So I find them really good. They're super easy to carry and, yeah, they're just like a delicious little lolly.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you just need that little bit of sugar when you're running at the higher intensity, um, A, for fuel, but that even if you're into the whole fat-burning thing, the little bit of sugar helps maintain the fat-burning at a more efficient kind of level. So, um, yeah, when you're running a bit faster in the actual marathon, definitely be taking on a bit more fuel than what I do in everyday training. Um, so, yeah, after getting over that little bit of taking a step backwards to go forward. Happily, on Thursday, I just did a 34-minute run and that was about 6.5K, four miles, and I was on 5.30 pace, uh, 8.50-ish miling at 125 heart rate. So I was thinking I've actually recovered pretty well from that two-hour's 20 run. Um, if I'd, if there'd been sort of some kind of overtraining um, or other issue going on, I'm pretty sure my Thursday recovery run, my heart rate would have been quite a bit higher. So that was kind of good to see that I was still in good shape, even even after having that little little mini setback. Um, and Friday, fr- Friday was a good, interesting day. Um, the weather was amazing in Ballarat; just super sunny, brilliant. Um, and of course, I had an assignment due on Friday <laughs> as part of the uh, the qualification that I'm doing at the moment. So. Um, I actually got out and did a run early of about seven and a bit kilometres, which I think was about four and a half miles at 537 kilometre pace, um, nine-minute-ish miling. And that was really cruisy, 124 heart rate, um, so super easy. And I was looking for any excuse to delay doing my assignment. So I actually went out for a second short run in the afternoon, um, put my shorts and T-shirt on for the first time in, I reckon, three months, and just jogged to a local park for um, about four and a half k's, um, uh, and did some chin-ups just out in the wow. sun. So, yeah, I <laughs> was the just let. Yeah, got the got <laughs> guns the guns out. Guns out. out and don't they say? Yeah, and the and the uh, yeah the, the, the running's sort of going pretty well, but I can tell you the chin up strength is not going that well. Uh, three chin ups was <laughs> was about all I managed, um, and but it was nice to get out in the sun, and I thought this is going to be good. I'll get some vitamin D, um, all of that. Uh, feel feel this feel the sun on your skin, um, and. Funnily enough, I'm jogging back and I get uh, wolf whistled by some young ladies driving past in the car and I thought, you guys, you must have been like blinded by the sun bouncing off my pasty white skin. <laughs> so anyway, yes, uh, my second little mini long run, I was um, objectified. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. But on a happier note, I did manage to get the assignment in on time um, after procrastinating with that second run on the friday it was the
1: chin-ups got you motivated
0: (laughs) yeah i think it was the chin-ups yeah got the uh got the hormone response happening so um was able to do that um and saturday was park run volunteering day which was a lot of fun you said you were
1: going to do that good on you
0: yeah yeah so that was fun i I did, yeah. I, I asked for an easy job because I thought first time out, you don't want to be uh, – I don't want the high pressure of, you know, collecting the barcodes and um, doing the scanning or something like that. So I, I was just a course marshal. Um, so just make sure people don't go the wrong way at a particular point. So, no, it was nice. Um, yeah, park run is definitely all for the people. So there was families out there. There was some people running fast. There was some people walking. There was people with – prams and children and there were people with three or four people with their dogs um, so yeah so it was a really nice atmosphere and luckily again the weather was amazing so um, it was a good day to be volunteering as opposed to some of the other days that um, some of the other volunteers have had so I'm probably a bit of a fair weather volunteer at the at the moment so I, I probably need to go down there when it's really raining or snowing um, to be counted as a true Ballarat park run volunteer. Um, but, yeah, it's good oh, fun. Good. good on you. And, yeah, since I was there, I basically, once my volunteering duties were over, I snuck out and did – oh, Friday like actually got moved to Saturday. I did skip that over just to give myself a little bit more recovery from the midweek long run. Um, so what did I do? Overall, I covered 11.7 kilometres, uh, slightly more than seven miles at 5.12 average. Which is eight twenty miling. Heart rate average for the hour was one forty, and that was because I did seven by two minutes with one minute recovery jogs. Which kind of sounds easy, but is a bit harder than what <laughs> a bit harder than what I thought. Um, so yeah, for the two minute efforts, I averaged about three fifty five kilometer pace, which is six hundred five miling, and the session went pretty well apart from the bit where I took a wrong turn. And missed the entry back into Victoria Park And ended up running across the road So I then had to cut cross-country across this grass Which was pretty met, wet and muddy still So I was kind of tiptoeing across Whilst trying to do my two-minute effort So one of my seven-minute efforts was a little bit slower than the rest But um, yeah, other than that It was a fairly successful and good session yeah, good. And yeah, Sunday... I basically, because I'd done my long, long run on the Wednesday, I just did my medium long run on the Sunday. So, I did 94 minutes and I must confess I ran the extra four minutes so I could get my weekly mileage to 80 oh kilometres. No. Um, <laughs>
1: oh. Aren't you that person that I was so people? close. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I'm not supposed to be one of those people but apparently um, I am. Um, we just
1: talk about less is yeah. more? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, there was – it was again. It was a really nice day. Um, I was so close to hitting hitting that um, number, so I thought, you know, an extra four minutes is not going to kill me. So I did seventeen and a half kilometres, or about eleven miles. Averaged five twenty-six kilometre pace, which is really good for me on a yeah, long run. Um, Eight forty miling. Heart rate average was only one thirty-one for the whole thing. So yeah, that was actually a good again another good confidence build after that um, kind of Wednesday run. Um, that I was still able to kind of run pretty quickly for, um, yeah, more than an hour and a half, um, not at a super high heart rate. Mm,
1: no, you're going well. So, good. what did you You got 80 Ks for the week, no niggles. Yes.
0: Uh, well, I've still got a little bit of this, um, ITB, or you know, probably more accurately, just muscles around my lateral thigh and hip. Um, that's It's not causing me any pain, Um, not having any knee pain or anything like that. Occasionally, I just kind of am aware of it when I'm running. Um, So, yeah, we were talking about doing a bit of that yin stretching. So, that has come back into the program and I've been a bit more attentive to stretching out my glutes and lower back, um, doing a bit of spiky ball. Um, And the other thing I've been doing is um, just a couple of little mini hip strengthening exercises after a couple of runs during the week just to make sure um glutes are fully on and activating um so that my my leg stays nice and stable when i'm in contact with the ground so yeah i feel like i'm staying ahead of that at the moment um it's definitely better than what it was um and it's not causing me any grief while i'm running which Mm. is good so yeah so uh, touch wood on that one um Yeah, it was a good week. Yeah, 80 kilometres, 50 miles, Mm. hey? That's good. Sounds good. And, uh, yeah, on Sunday I ran in my Ultra Escalante shoes, which are new ones that I've been trying out. It was the first long run I'd done in them. For those people that aren't aware, Ultra make zero drop offset, so the shoe's basically completely flat, um, but they do have – Pretty reasonable amount of cushioning in them. So they're not really, I wouldn't really describe them as a minimal or a barefoot shoe, um, but they are a flat shoe, um, which uh, some people would argue or contend would influence you to become more of a four foot striker, uh, which is the uh, well delivered segue to our topic of the week, which is foot strike. After this. <laughs> So I'm not sure that my new flat shoes uh, modified my foot strike one way or the other. Um, I'm, I would say I'm pretty much a natural heel striker, which probably most of the general running public are.
1: Except um, for me, putting those.
0: Except for, for
1: <laughs> a long time, and had to teach myself to come off my toes.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I, I do recall um, Mark Gorski and I, Mark and I used to do coaching together in his um, shop in Burnley at the Melbourne Running Company. And, yeah, Mark and I looking at you on the treadmill going, it's one thing to um, contact the ground four foot." first but you never came down so you were you kind of stayed on your toes for the the entirety of the gait cycle which was pretty ah, interesting
1: yes yeah. so I think I'm probably the anomaly but uh yeah often you see photos of people and their heel hits the ground and before we did some small changes in my technique uh, I don't think I ever had a photo with my heel on the ground <laughs> when I was running
0: no, I look, yeah, you were you were definitely a bit of an outlier because I have seen the odd person who never comes down um, to have their heel in contact with the ground at some stage during their gait. Um, yeah, I think I think the reason we were looking at that as a potential change for you was um, some lower leg issues that you were having, um, and also just the potential that um, by not allowing your foot um, and achilles and lower leg to fully load or flatten out you're probably actually depriving yourself of a little bit of um free energy in your running mm. gait. so do you reckon you've sort of sustained that as a, a change over I, time i definitely
1: have like if i look at photos from you know pre small technique tweak to now uh, i've got a lot more photos, especially maybe if I'm getting tired or in longer races. So when I say longer, like, like cross-country or 5K road and up, where it's not so much you know on your toes and a quick race, lots of photos where it looks as I'm here first.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which is fine. And look, the reason I wanted to do this one as a topic of the week was one of the most commonly... Um, cited pieces of running technique advice that seems to get around these days is that heel striking is somehow bad and evil and will make you injured and that the only way to prevent this is to become a forefoot or in some cases people say a midfoot striker um, and that will somehow magically solve all of your running ills um, which my personal, my personal opinion and Yeah, I I think there'd be a lot of people that would agree with me um, is that there is a lot of other things that you could be looking at in terms of your running gait and your running mechanics um, and the way that you train, which would have a much greater um, impact on, well, A, whether you're getting injured or not, and B, whether you're kind of performing um, to the maximum um, for your particular ability level. Where do you
1: think this has come from, this anti-heel strike movement?
0: And stri- I like it. I like it. And it, it, it feels like that sometimes. It's sort of like, well, you know, you. I know people, um, they look at themselves or photos of themselves heel striking. And because of all of this stuff that's in the, um, either on social media or even in the mainstream media, sometimes it gets picked up um, that they think that they're doing something wrong. And, you know, they turn around and um, think that, uh, they'll have to start focusing on changing their foot strike, which is possibly one of the more risky things you could do in terms of like a running mechanics change um, if you were doing that kind of change in isolation. So, if you took someone who was, say, a, a four-hour marathon runner and they're just a natural heel striker and said, right, okay, we're going to fix your running technique now, um, let's make you a four-foot striker. Um, I think probably the first thing that happened would that they would uh, uh, be very likely to succumb to lower leg or foot injuries because um, when you start thinking about changing your foot strike, um, it's it's quite an unnatural thing. If you're not naturally a forefoot striker to suddenly want to contact the ground with your forefoot. Um, so I think the natural inclination for a lot of people when they try and make that transition is to really kind of reach for the ground and probably overstiffen their um, foot and lower leg. Um, And because they haven't done any other work on the rest of their technique, they're most likely going to hit the ground in a position where all of their um, major running muscles are not necessarily active and able to support them from a stability perspective, Um, but also in terms of um, being able to load and absorb the impact. And I guess what I'm talking about there is things like having your – hip extenders, extensors, um, your glutes and hamstrings active um, just before and as you make contact with the ground. And if that's happening, it doesn't really matter that much whether you're forefoot striking or heel heel striking, you're going to be in a good place. But if you suddenly go to forefoot striking and you haven't um, done any strength work to um, activate those muscles or you haven't even thought about doing that as a running mechanics change, there's a good chance you're going to contact the ground four foot first with all of those vulnerable smaller muscles um, taking the full weight um, of all of, all of your running stride come crashing down upon them um, so it's a it's a risky move. So
1: do you think that if you're a heel striker that you're straight away going to become injured?
0: Absolutely not. Um, and I think one of the nice pieces of evidence to kind of run counter to that argument is, A study that was done by a guy called Ian Hunter, Dr. Ian Hunter. Um, I think he's from Brigham Young University in the USA. And he set up all of these high speed cameras at the 2012 um, US 10,000 meter Olympic trials. And he took photos of the males and male and female competitors. And there was just such a mixed bag of. Foot strike um, and foot and ankle postures that he took photographs of during those two races, um, and these are people at the you know the very elite level. Um, so for men, they were running. I think they were running sub twenty. So the minute, winner was Gabe Rock, pace. who
1: yeah, the majority was a handy of runner. people would would know about in the winning yep. time of twenty seven twenty five. And last place in the males in 23rd position was 29.36. And the winner for yes. the female, Amy Hastings, 31.58, so flying. And last place, 33.45. So these girls and guys are moving.
0: So I'd be about six minutes behind the last place female um, <laughs> in that race. And those, yeah, those... Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, running super, super fast. A lot of heel strikers in that mix. There are a few forefoot strikers there as well. And there's probably some that are kind of somewhere in between, which generally gets called, you know, midfoot striking where, yeah, the foot's kind of a bit more sort of parallel to the ground as it's striking, as opposed to toes pointing down or Thereabouts. Yeah. I've got the um, photos up
1: at the moment just on my phone having yeah. a look and we'll definitely link this because this is a really good message for everyone to go and have a look at. There is yes. some, I'm looking at a lady, a, a K- K- Kellen, I think, Johnson, who ran 32.30, has landed right smack bang on her heel. If yeah. I landed on my heel and ran a 3230 10k, I would be incredibly happy
0: you'd be pretty happy wouldn't you i'd be pretty happy so Um, happy and and, same uh, as you know
1: and the men as well um i I would say there's nearly more heel strikers in this than there is you know four foot or toe strikers uh,
0: that would have been my observation of that those set of pictures as well and we'll definitely link those up but i think the interesting thing for me is you don't run 28 minutes or below um as a guy um without having accumulated, um, you know, if not years of training, but very, very large and long training blocks at very high volume and very high intensity. So that argument about, oh, if you're a heel striker, you'll get injured just doesn't hold any water when you've got elite runners who are heel strikers who are able to produce those kind of performances from from both a male and a female perspective just to me that doesn't make any sense like if there was something inherently wrong or injurious with heel striking um these people wouldn't be able to do what they've what they've done
1: are there any like obvious signs though that some heel striking is bad
0: um i would say no um and look when 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 i was doing uh, a lot more work in uh, running technique assessments and so forth Was one of the kind of last things That we'd even think about Or or look at even um, I'd be more interested In trying to identify whether Runners were activating Those hip extensor muscles That I mentioned So if you're getting your glutes turned on And your hamstrings are activated um, As you're about to contact the ground And as you do contact the ground um, That's going to naturally um, Bring your foot contact point back towards you a little bit. Um, and I'm not one of those people that believes somehow magically that everyone lands 100% under their centre of mass because, again, you only have to go to the, a local track and watch elite runners run and everyone kind of contacts the ground a little bit ahead of their body. Um, but if at least you've got those um, hip extensor muscles activated Um, Just before and as you contact the ground, it's going to bring your foot contact point back a little bit more towards you. Your knee will be a little bit bent um, and your hip will be a little bit flexed. Um, And all of those things set you up for contacting the ground. Um, Those muscles get activated and a whole bunch of things get stabilised, a whole bunch of things get loaded with energy. So one of the things people talk about um, foot uh strike as being you know a really important thing i would probably more prefer to talk about foot loading um and to load your foot and achilles uh complex effectively and well you need to be extending your hips well and being quite stable from the hips down so that's something that that you know we would kind of look at more in terms of um whether someone had issues with their running technique or not, was making sure those muscles were active and stable um, while the runner's in contact with the Mm. ground.
1: Well, if someone who's not a heel striker, I must admit, if I look at a photo and see someone with a really prominent heel strike, I probably do view that a little bit negatively, thinking, oof, that has got to hurt. But that's just because it, it comes across as so unnatural to me. But yeah
0: I mean, and I think those those images that we we're just yeah. talking about they're actually it would be nice to see the rest of the runner um, as well because I think what you would see is something along the lines of what I'm describing where even though you know the ank anch- well the the toes are pointed up and it looks like a big heel strike you'd probably find that um, the overall posture of the runner looks pretty good. Um, And if you took the the fact out of where they were contacting the ground out of the equation, they'd probably all look pretty similar Mm. otherwise.
1: So, you know, the conversation is probably not so much that if you have a heel strike, it's bad. It's what is the whole picture that's going on from sort of the waist down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's so so much that we could talk about as part of this. Um, I think the good thing for people to do is actually – Just to do their own observations So if you've got um, uh, elite running races Or higher level running races going on um, Or you go to your local marathon Set up your iPhone and take some of your own footage um, And your own photos And just see what's going on with the majority of runners Um, And I think what you'll see is that even with you know, the very top end of runners, there'll be a lot of heel strikers amongst them, um, but kind of look out for those other things of, you know, how well are they activating um, those muscles before they contact the ground and how well do they load um, as they go through that hip extension phase. Um, and that's really the difference between the elite runners and, you know, plotters like me is they're able to really load their foot, um, their Achilles, lower leg really quite well because they're just able to extend their hips um so effectively um during the running gait
1: yeah i am um, and it's yeah. a big
0: topic one yeah. other thing to, one other thing i'll just throw in is people often talk about overstriding, and i think what they mean by that is you know leg jutted out straight ahead of the runner um contacting the ground, heel first. And when people talk about heel striking as being bad, they're probably really talking about that kind of posture. Um, and clearly that's a posture where, you know, you haven't activated any of that sort of posterior extension chain um, and you're headed for, a, you know, a passive Crash landing, and that that's not good. Um, whether you're contacting heel first or well, and first. I can
1: second that because I, as we said, I'm, I'm a toe striker, but I had a history of very very long overstrides. strides, um, and yeah, there was hence the hip, um, glute issues, but you know it certainly wasn't caused by the foot strike. It was everything that was going up above the happening above the foot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So. Yeah, if you – I mean, I guess the, the thing that people need to think about, I suppose, is, um, you know, if someone says, oh, you're a heel striker, that's bad, um, have a think about what's going on with your running. Like, are you injured? Um, are you not enjoying your running? Um, are you not performing as well as you would like? And if you're not injured and you're performing fine and you're quite happy, I would just kind of I- ignore that advice um, and just keep going on your merry way. I
1: think that's a really good point, actually, because – that old saying, why fix something that's not broken?
0: Correct. If it ain't, don't, ain't broke, don't <laughs> fix it. Yeah, that's a that's a classic. And look, there's so many other things you could do if you want to work on your running. Like, you know, you could do strength training if you're not doing that. Um, you could do some drills to practice um, activating those hip extension um, muscles. So, you know, your classic A and B skip drills that you would have done, I'm sure, Lisa, a million yep. times at the track. Like they're all about practising activating that those muscles um, in a pattern that would lead to good running so technique. So when I'm so at the track,
1: I actually mm-hmm. do drills, and it's only once a week. Uh, it's probably a time thing and maybe sometimes a laziness thing too that I, I don't do them on the other days. I can guarantee that I feel more warmed up doing that five, ten minutes worth of drills than I do, you know, if I've done a 6K warm-up and a whole bunch of stretches and I just feel ready to go because I've just activated all of the right muscles in the same patterns that I'm about to produce when I'm about to run hard. I love drills.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely totally a good thing to do. And, you know, the other thing you could do is like, you know, do some heel work. You know, to run up a hill effectively, you need to use that sort of posterior chain of muscles to drive yourself up the hill. So that's a great way to kind of activate those muscles um, as well. And I think the one thing that people often neglect to look at when they're either injured or they're struggling in terms of performance is just looking at their overall training load, like are you training, are you doing too much volume, are you doing too much intensity? I mean, they're the two kind of main levers Um So, you know, you might back off your volume slightly or back off your intensity slightly and, you know, your injury rows might go away just fine um, rather than potentially looking at changing your foot strike. Good topic. Hmm. And I think think we've already done the tip so (laughs) we can probably skip that. I think we've done that. The tip is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that not Um, all
1: heel strike. Oh, sorry, yeah, not all heel strike is a bad thing.
0: Yeah, exactly, and most of it is definitely not a bad thing um, and there's plenty of other things that you can have a think about in terms of your running to improve um, before you need to go there um, because it's a high-risk type mm. of strategy. Mm. 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 Foot strike. And, yeah, we'll, we'll link up a bunch of stuff um, for people who want to kind of nerd out on that. Um, they could go on to Google Scholar. Oh, hit Brian
1: and, up. He look, loves talking about of, this and emails all day
0: on yeah. this topic? I, I, I kind of, yeah, look, I don't mind it, but now that I've kind of done the research on it, I kind of don't feel like I need to do a mm-hmm. whole lot more. Um, you love but, it. you know, there are some, uh, yeah, I don't mind talking about it. But, yeah, you could into Google Scholar. Um, you could Google people like Irene Davis, Daniel Lieberman, um, Peter Larson, Um, and we'll link up a bunch of other, um, kind of foot, foot strikey kind of studies. So you can go and have a look at for yourself. Look, there's, there's definitely some people out there doing research, um, which is kind of pro midfoot, foot striking. Um, but there's also other people doing this more sort of observational stuff, which, you know, the Olympic trials pictures are in that kind of category. And, um peter larson the run blogger he did a a study at his local marathon where they took photos of everyone it was kind of like 90 percent of the runners were heel strikers and i think his study was a good one as well because it 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 also accounted for fatigue so he did some photography um both earlier in the run and towards the end of the marathon as well when much more people were starting to heel strike um Towards the end So yeah There's some interesting stuff To have a look at But kind of Look at things Make up your own mind Um, Don't just If there's some kind of You know Celebrity or Off the cuff Kind of advice (laughs) About Just change to a foot strike And that's going to Solve everything You've really got to Kind of question that Because Yeah It ain't that simple Unfortunately Definitely not So I guess that's enough about that. What about the week ahead, Yeah, well,
1: I've got a bit of a – I had a planned down week after this half marathon, and it's been sort of forced upon me as more of a down week because of this shin. And as I said, it's it's not feeling bad, uh, but I actually went to my amazing physio this morning uh, just to get a bit of an opinion and some therapy, and we think that we've caught it early, uh, caused by – bit of some major calf tightening and actually rolled my ankle so um, I'm just getting that sorted so I'm not going to be doing a lot of running this week actually am going to be doing some okay. training so
0: you've got a you've got a diagnosis so you're you're, you're no longer thinking you're got shin splints no, per se but it's just ru- tight ruling,
1: ruling the shin splints out The where the soreness is it's more the calf um is so tight that it's pulling on the tendons which is then sort of giving some referred pain onto the very like, edge of the bone not so much the front of the bone where the shins like stress reactions happen so
0: yeah, I'm very
1: pleased about that. And to be honest, I think after the the Sunday half marathon and getting through that and then waking up the next day with no soreness, there was a bit of a sigh of relief from me going, yep, yeah, there's something else going on. But, you know, I'm still nine weeks out from the marathon, so it's long enough for me to have this sort of down week of cross-training, Um And it's still sort of long enough out. Like if I just kept running, who knows? It may turn into something else, and I may find myself four weeks out with a with a stress fracture, which to me would be disastrous.
0: And spending all your time running on the (laughs) altitude, disastrous
1: and (laughs) expensive. So I'm taking the smart option. And look, I'm someone that really doesn't mind a couple of days off. I think for me. Like a week to a week and a half, if I had to spend pretty much doing nothing, I know wouldn't shatter my confidence and wouldn't really get me down. When it starts getting to that two weeks and above mark, I I know that I start to get a bit down from that. So I'm trying to be a little bit proactive, and I'm going to jump in the pool actually Tuesday Thursday for pool running. I actually quite like swimming and pool running, so um, I'm actually looking forward to it. And then I'll do the ultra G on the Wednesday. And I've got another follow-up physio appointment at the end of the week to sort of see whether or not I hit the land on the weekend or whether I just rest for a couple more days and then get back into full training the following week.
0: Sounds good. I think you've got a good chance of just knocking it on yeah, the head by doing that. I think that. So. Look, so. Even so, after
1: the, the physio session, my calf feels amazing. Like it's, you know, when even in yourself, you know, things are going in the right direction. Yeah, so. Yeah.
0: And she, she oh, needled you, needles. Didn't she?
1: Oh, my God, I love needles. They're so so good. (laughs) good. If anybody who is unsure about them, like I cannot recommend them enough. They – I don't even think they hurt. They're just – they are so effective. No, they don't.
0: Yeah, and I I find them much better than massage for those kind of really chronic tightness type of, you know, injuries where it just loosens it up without completely destroying you, um, which the really deep tissue sports massage can do like that can put you out for you might have to take a couple of days off running just from having yeah, a massage. and I know
1: that you're a bit soft so you don't like that type of massage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't, That's all right oh, don't but, hurt no, me. I love it
1: but honestly I actually completely agree with you those needles they just get I don't know I think it's the blood flow that just gets right into the area it relaxes everything and
0: I think it's the relaxing bit. It just stimulates letting yeah, the muscle so relax. Yeah, so I respond
1: really well to it. So, look, I highly recommend it. If anyone has got some chronic tightness, they just can't seem to nip in the bud, um, you know, a couple of uh, needle sessions or acupuncture and, you know, you're sort of on your way. So, um, yeah, a down week. It was a planned down week. So it sort of has all fallen into, into place, to be honest. But nine weeks to go, you've got six weeks.
0: Yeah, it's not long now, and uh, yeah, this week, um, for a bit of fun, I'm going to Flinders Island um, doing the pub to pub
1: So for our non-Australian listeners, where is Flinders Island?
0: Flinders Island is between Victoria and Tasmania, so um, it's actually not on the mainland, Um, and yeah, it's in Bass Strait. Sounds warm. Um, It's part of... (laughs) Yeah, look, it's actually, it's not as cold as what you might think, um, especially when you're coming from somewhere like Ballarat. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's part of a group of islands called the Ferno Islands. Um, yeah, they've got this nice pub to pub race between uh, Lady Barron and White Mark. And this year, it's, an, it's a bit like a mini Comrades. It's an up year this year. So you have to run from um, Lady Barron to White Mark, which I think, means that the first 10 or 12 Ks is going to be uphill, which will be interesting. So is this so, um, a
1: race for you or are you I'll... doing similar to the half that I did, like a marathon simulation? Uh,
0: look, I wouldn't even describe it as that. I'm actually just using it as a, a good long run. Um, so it'll just be a solid solid long run. There'll be a couple of aid stations out there so I can have a couple of drinks or whatever. Um, but, yeah, this is. I'm just treating this actually as just part of my marathon mm-hmm. program. Just a change um, of scenery. So... Yeah, change of scenery. Like I psychologically, I find those really long runs kind of tough. Um, so I think what's what I'm going to do is probably run the race and then jog back to the caravan park mm-hmm. afterwards, which will probably give me about 30 k's, there give or take. Um, but that that may change if 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 the if I end up getting banged up from the run or whatever, then you know I won't do the. bit I'm at the so end, opposite but,
1: uh, to you. I would do a long warm up, mm-hmm. do the run. And catch a cab back.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that is actually a possibility that I have been tossing around as well. So, it, it could be possible that I do, uh, maybe I just do 3K or something beforehand and uh, then do the run and maybe just do a short cool down afterwards and that'll give me a similar amount of, amount of time um, on legs. So, yeah, it's a good chance for me to get one of my final two or three long runs done in a very different environment, which would be it'd be a good mental holiday yeah, as much I as Yeah, I think anything. that
1: type of things good. Mix it up. And even, you know, mm. it's a little bit of race practice. You've got to be somewhere at a particular time. You actually have to think about what you're yeah. going to eat. You've got to put your bib on. What are you going to wear? Um, you know, just those small little things that you don't think about when you step out your front door half asleep to do 20Ks around your block.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it'll, it'll feel a little bit like um, – racing even if i'm not racing
1: oh it sounds like a good week i'm interested to hear how you go on that sounds like a fun little adventure
0: yeah yep it should be should be a should be a very interesting um and fun experience and if i think of it i'll try and catch some audio um while i'm down there all right well i think that's a wrap lisa um you have been listening to running technique tips with brian martin and lisa biffin we'll catch you next week.